Hello and welcome to Doc to Me. My name is Heather. And I'm Kathleen. And this week we are covering Mind Over Murder on HBO. The six-episode series premiered June 20th, 2022, and the last episode just came out on Monday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you thought you were done. <laughs> I thought I was done, and then I was like, oh shit, I have to wait for one more. <laughs> so, needless to say, this will be a two-parter. Yes. A lot. <laughs> lot to break open. I have open. a lot of notes. <laughs> this series was directed by Nan Fu Wang, a Chinese-born American filmmaker whose previous work focused more on human rights conditions in China. Her first film, Hooligan Sparrow, actually made her a target for government surveillance in China. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> so now this story she became interested in after reading an article about it. The subjects featured in it had declined interviews from the media, so Nanfu went to, oh my god, Beatrice, Nebraska, and- I text you. I did. I was, are you fucking kidding me? It's Beatrice. It's going to be hard reading because my dog's name is Beatrice, so- It is not- Having that name in my head. Beatrice (laughs) is not a word, okay? It's not. I'm sorry. The town's name is Beatrice, okay? It is. (laughs) All of these people are wrong. I literally text you and I was like, are you kidding me? My kid walked in and heard the, she was like, uh, what? Literally, that is wrong. So there may be some pauses before I say it. Beatrice. It's wrong. No. But also, yeah, I had never heard of this. So it was super interesting. So, uh, yeah, the director went to the town and befriended the community and the defense attorneys and finally gained their trust. So let's just get into this weird story. It's wild. Right away, it kind of of reminds me of 2017 casting John Bonet on Netflix. Did you ever watch that? I didn't. I... I just have a hard time getting into the John Bonet stuff. It's so, like, (laughs) overworked. But that one was kind of interesting because they're like, you know, the people from the town putting on the play and then they kind of give their take on the story of what they think might have happened. And yeah, I thought the whole play aspect of this was it was weird. Yeah, it was but weird, it was, but it worked. Yeah, it, works. It, it, it worked. Yeah. So that film, they're, ca- they're documenting the casting process for reenactments. But yeah, also getting actors opinions and also like how it affected them like growing up about hearing about it and stuff like that oh then i might like that since i did like this one yeah this film though they write up a script from police files and court documents trial transcripts that sort of thing which is really interesting it is (laughs) very accurate and thorough they're interviewing the actors and the first question is how do you feel about portraying a living person who might even still be in this community that's insane yeah i mean these these people were neighbors and business owners and just it's a very small town where everybody knows each other the population is less than thirteen thousand, and that hasn't really changed since the mid 80s when this crime occurred Remember the Unsolved Mysteries episode where they talked about that church explosion that happened five minutes after choir practice had started? Yes! But no one was injured because everyone was running late? Yes. That's this town. Nuh-uh. Yeah. (gasps) (laughs) No. Dude. I read that and I was like, whoa. (laughs) 
I liked that Unsolved Mysteries. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah, that story's just insane. That's that town. That's so crazy. Shane Wilson talks about how his grandmother, Helen Wilson, came to visit his family in Scotts Bluff on February 5th, 1985, when he was 15. She didn't feel too well, so she went home that night. And the next morning, Shane's mother receives a call letting them know that Helen had passed away. And that's all the information they're given. So they assume it was from pneumonia that she had. She was 68, so any little thing at that age, there's a chance. Which is crazy, because now that I'm in my 30s, I don't think that 68 is super old. (laughs) But I'm still like, that's old. Yeah. Er. We're like halfway there, that seems like, no. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We're already creaking and falling apart. Yeah, no, I've totally (laughs) gone death's door at all times, so I get it. So they're all in the car driving to Beatrice when they hear on the radio about police investigating the murder of Helen Wilson in Beatrice, Nebraska. What a shitty way to find out. (laughs) On the radio, on the way to go arrange things for grandma's death. Yeah, I feel like modern day that'd be like reading it on, I almost said Netflix, Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Like somebody couldn't have warned them. Yeah. You have to find out from the radio. They're usually more careful about that kind of stuff. <laughs> it was the 80s. Who gives a fuck? The night of the murder, Helen's son, Daryl, and his wife, Katie, came over to the small one-bedroom apartment right off the main road to spend time with Helen. It was common for them to come over and spend some time with her, drink coffee late into the night. Which is so weird to me. <laughs> I mean, I do. <laughs> She's like an old lady. She's drinking coffee before bed. Well, what else has she got to do? Okay, but coffee makes you poop, okay? And you cannot Not be always. like pooping in the bed. <laughs> Experience? No, I do not. <laughs> the talk does. This night, she wasn't feeling well, so Katie cleaned up her kitchen a little and then just left early. Not exactly what time frame she left, though. They don't really discuss that. Yeah, they didn't They didn't say a time. But then didn't they say um, that they needed to call her because she needed yeah, to say... Yeah, okay. to that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Katie has a cousin in the family call Helen a little before midnight to remind her to take her medicine, and the call goes unanswered. A little weird, so Katie calls her herself, and the phone rings twice and then goes dead. But like, what do you do in that situation? Maybe she just really doesn't feel well and doesn't want to be bothered. It's not like with cell phones where you just reject the call. You have to pick it up, put it down. So everyone just assumes that everything is okay. Shane's uncle pops up the next morning to check on her, and as we know, she was dead. The cops show up and find her in the middle of the living room floor. There's a washcloth in the bathroom sink and her bed is disheveled. This is a prim and proper lady, not our lazy asses. She's gonna make her bed. And the kitchen was messy, which is curious because Katie had said she cleaned it up before she left. And whoever did this took the time to make coffee, but was still in such a rush that they left a ripped five dollar bill on the floor. That was the weirdest thing to me. Yeah, it was half of a five dollar (laughs) bill so yeah weird they find a knife from the kitchen in the bedroom along with some blood on the wall in the bed and she's found tied up on the living room floor with i've heard several different things that they said it was it was like a blanket and then it was a scarf and an afghan i don't know it was like some kind of weird it looked like a little crochet like tea towel thing also they show pictures yes 
and her nightgown was pulled up. So it's a brutal crime. Like, there's need, no need for that. <laughs> this, is, this is a grandma. Like, <laughs> who's also sick. <laughs> not cool. No one wants that. She's not going to put up a fight. Uh, Bill Fitzgerald, the police lieutenant, looks like Bo Bridges. I just want to say that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they don't find any evidence of forced entry into the apartment and the hallway outside of the apartment, which already looks creepy. The lights have been shut off. Yeah. In the basement, right? I wasn't really sure. It looked like they were implying that it was the basement, but yeah. Okay. It just, someone went to the electrical box in the furnace room and manually shut the lights off from there. It's not like there's a light switch. And even though this is a small building and a quiet town, neighbors don't report hearing anything odd. Which is pretty wild. Like, how thick were the walls on that building? It did look like a pretty old building, considering. So I imagine they're built better than they are these days. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) At autopsy, she has broken ribs, broken arm, defense cuts to her hands, and this cop said they took, and this is what was also another one, they took the bandage off, bandage off her face. I was like, it wasn't a bandage. What is around this woman's head? <laughs> like in the picture, it was not a bandage. Nobody can seem to, well, I was like, was it an ace bandage they had? I don't know. That's even more horrifying, the idea that someone would wrap an ace bandage around this poor woman's head. I don't, yeah. So, regardless, whatever was tied around her head was on so tight that her nose was pressed flat and she suffocated. This cop is really fucking weird. He says, and I quote, We were later notified by the hospital that they had found very active semen in both the Virginia Virginia <laughs> and rectum. So okay, number one, vagina. I texted you during I was like, this man just said vagina and I can't even <laughs> laugh about it because he's talking about a poor sweet old lady. So number one, vagina. Number two, what the fuck is very active semen? <laughs> like I, it ran a four K and then went clubbing <laughs> with his friends. I just assumed that he meant like it was like a young perpetrator or something, <laughs> like they're very virile and like <laughs> very active in the vagina. <laughs> That's awesome. semen on speed. Vagina, vagina. So yeah, this is just a horrible crime that happened to a sweet old lady. She loved playing bingo and volunteered at the nearby church, babysitting little kids. Aww. She would write sweet poems for her family members for their birthdays and would record her life and her family's lives so they would have memories to look at later. At the time of her death, she had seven grandchildren and five great-grandchildren. Wow. For 68. That seems pretty (laughs) extensive. Yeah. So it's a good thing she loved kids so much. Uh, This was incredibly devastating for the family, of course. Yeah, they seemed very tight-knit. Yeah. She still had many years left and just so much love to share and just died in such a horrific way that they couldn't even have an open casket. It's very understanding that they want to find who did this crime and there's going to be a lot of anger about it. You don't hurt kids and old people. That's No, they're like the most innocent of anything in the world. They go to the funeral to see if there's any suspects and that doesn't pan out. They put a tape recorder at the grave to see if someone confessed, but... That also doesn't pan out. Plus, why would they confess to her? She knows you killed them. 
Like, or, well, can, can you imagine like how big that tape recorder was in the eighties? How do you hide that under flowers? They said. Well, <laughs> yeah, especially because they said that it was like a sound activated or whatever, so it wasn't just recording twenty four seven. That would have to be what like massive for that technology. There? Is the there 80s? traffic nearby? The things like constantly being set off. That was so weird. They have DNA, but in eighty five, there's not really much you can do yeah, it's with just it. a blood type basically yeah. and they know the suspect is a type b non-secretor which i like when she asks what does secretor mean or non-secretor and he's like i don't know yeah he's like i don't know i'm not a what did he say a serologist a serologist <laughs> you're a cop you should know basic stuff like that for such a small area there's a lot of weirdos to look into <laughs> yeah they investigate one guy just because he was into older ladies. I mean. And ask the local bookstore if there's anyone into bondage they should look at. Which is so weird because the thing on her face wasn't a bondage thing. Well, the bookstore's owner isn't going to rat out his own customers. Like, that's bad for business. <laughs> they run out of leads and ask the FBI for help and they get sent one of the original FBI profilers, Peter Kismet. He was when they, like, Mindhunter. Like, once they have it, like, up and running and they get all these new people into, like, train and all that, he was one of those. Yeah. No, I loved his interview part (laughs) and his whole, like, God damn it, guys. Okay. So, yeah. Did you fall in love with this man? Maybe. (laughs) The profile he comes up with is a white guy. Always. (laughs) In his late teens or early 20s, love-hate relationship with older women, possible history of sexual assaults, and it is possible he knew Helen Wilson or someone else in the building because he clearly felt comfortable enough in the apartment to make coffee. Just have a cup of coffee. (laughs) Also, this is a February night in Nebraska. Like, you're not going to be just strolling around outside looking for a victim. Yeah, you have, like, a destination in mind. Yeah. Also, don't share this with the public. We're giving you this profile to stay between us. And yet the next fucking warning, the cops apparently told the media about it because it's in the newspaper. Clearly, they should watch more Criminal Minds if it had been around in that time period. Like, you don't share these. These are for you to no. so you know what to look for in this suspects. This is for the police. Don't put it out so everybody knows who you're looking they for. They put it in the goddamn newspaper. And in that small town, everybody reads I, the newspaper. But I, I like how he, like, called him out on it, though. He was just like, I told them not to give the information out. And they did. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking small town cops. So I noticed one of the suspects they were looking into, his nickname was Snake. And I was like, no, the only snake we know is Stevie from the documentary, (laughs) Stevie. (laughs) No one calls him Snake. (laughs) Well, remember his dating profile? He said he signed it off as Possum. I was like, dude, you can't. That's why everybody calls me Snake. God, I love that doc. I'm so mad that documentary or the one we recorded, like, doesn't have that many listens and i'm like that movie is so great it's i like how you text me and you're like oh my god his mom looks like stevie's grandma yes (laughs) god i love stevie 
Their first real suspect is a guy named Bruce Smith. He was out drinking with friends, and when they went back to one of the girls' trailers, they ended up kicking him out. He stated he was going to, quote, get ass one way or another, unquote, and was dropped dropped off a block or two from Helen's apartment building around 3.45 a.m. He had a rap sheet, and his grandmother had previously lived in the building, so he would have been familiar with it. He was from Beatrice and still had family living in the area, but he, at the time, was actually living in Oklahoma. So cops from Oklahoma track him down, get a DNA sample, and discover he's a type B secretor, and they're looking for a non-secretor, so he's eliminated. Which is just, like, they have such little to go on. Like, I mean, can you really even eliminate anyone? No. What was it? Gary Ridgway was interviewed, like, four times. Bert Searcy was introduced earlier in the story, but let's just get into him now. He joined the police force when he was 28 and didn't seem to be a cop for that long before he left in 82 because he, quote, got burned out. What is there to get burned out on in this town? It's a small town. like 12,000 people. He got tired of writing, like, a couple tickets a day. What crime spree was going off? That was so tough. Like, you got burned out. It, like, makes me think of, like, Mayor of Easttown or whatever. When, like, yeah. <laughs> just, like, wrangling drunk people. Yeah. And, like, Dealing with neighbors just arguing about stupid shit. Like, that's it. Someone stealing stuff. Oh, my God. Their lawn is too tall. Yeah, you're basically there to just keep the peace. And if it's anything serious, you call the county. <laughs> That's yeah. how small towns work. I just don't think police work was for him. Uh, shortly after Helen's death, he gets in touch with the family and offers to work as a private investigator for them. Which is weird, because don't you have to have a license to That's be a private thought. investigator? I don't know if he just was allowed to because he was a cop at one point. I don't know. I just, yeah. And even though he's not a cop anymore, he says he still has his ear to the streets. What is happening on these streets? And one guy that's always been on his radar is Joe White. He's basically unemployed, indulges in alcohol and drugs, and is just straight up associated with a lot of riffraff. (laughs) Which honestly just sounds like any teenager. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what fucking year is it that you're worried about the riffraff? And one of his confidential informants is 17. I was confused <laughs> by that as well. What is happening? And she was in a wheelchair, right? Or was that just the actress? That was just the actress. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I, thought, I thought that maybe she was actually was. Because I remember thinking, wow, they're like really big budget for the <laughs> wheelchair. No, she brought it from home. Okay, that makes so much more sense. But what is happening in this crime-filled town that you need to have a youth informant? <laughs> like, that's Seriously, insane. Is she just informing all kids in the high school? Oh, is she that bitch? God. <laughs> this is just like the high school snitch. Yeah, it was really weird. Plus, is that even legal? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it, obviously it's not ethical, but... Or think you'd moral. be concerned as a parent, like, why is my kid talking to this cop? Yeah. Is he molesting him? 
So Bert says it didn't take too much for him to gain the trust of this 17-year-old named Lisa... Is it Pudendorf? Because it's spelled Podendorf. I... <laughs> but I feel like they kept saying Pudendorf. They did keep saying Pudendorf. Okay. But it's only one O, so wouldn't that be Podendorf? You know what? Beatrice, Beatrice, who are we to say? These people. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what 17-year-old is going to trust this cop, not cop, to just spill the beans on this whole mess? Yeah, she's just very talks, little prodding. She just talks openly. She's just, let me tell you a story. So according to her, the night of the murder, she's hanging out with her boyfriend near the apartment building when she sees a car pull into the parking lot and recognizes the occupants. But the way they have this, they reenacted it. The car is quite far away. It's dark out, but she's able to recognize everybody in the car as it's turning away. She identifies Joe White, Tom Winslow, and Joe Ann Taylor. The next day after, she sees all these cop cars at the apartment building, and she just happens to be next to Joanne Taylor, who without any provocation, admits to being involved with the murder. Yeah, she was set, like waiting for the school bus or something. Yeah. And she's standing next to her and goes, yeah, we did a murder there last night. <laughs> when sh- uh, what? Ma'am, it is 7.30 in the morning. Can I we have, not? <laughs> I haven't even had my coffee yet. I gotta get to Kim. I don't have time for this. Now, Bert doesn't hand this info off to the real cops. No, no, no. He's gonna do a little digging himself. As a private investigator. Slash, not really. Just a civilian. <laughs> a nosy-ass civilian. Joe and Joanne had left Beatrice weeks after the murder, so he can't interrogate them. So instead, he finds Tom Winslow. Tom says he was working that night, but when Bert checked out that alibi, his boss said Tom had called out sick that night, and Bert doesn't know why Tom would lie to him. Like, you're not a fucking cop. He doesn't have to tell you anything. Yeah, maybe he just forgot. (laughs) Who gives a shit? You're not a cop. Get off my property. Yeah, I was like, if he tells you to leave him the fuck alone, you legally have to. (laughs) At least he gave you some answer. So now Bert decides to go to the police with this information and they just blow him off. (laughs) Which he did not like. (laughs) They used a psychic and hypnosis to solve this case. You think they didn't take the time to look into people with arrest records? So yeah, the case basically goes cold for a few years. Bert doesn't want to give up on this slam dunk case he has, so he gets hired on at the Gage County Sheriff's Department. He literally just goes and starts working. Well, the city's not going to do anything. I'm going to the county. And immediately gets to now officially work this case. Which, can the county just take a case away from a city? Apparently. I figured it'd be like the FBI where you have to ask, can you please look into this? Who knows? Maybe because it had been some time? I don't know. I don't know. So he brings Lisa, the 17-year-old, in for official questioning. And according to him, if you lie, you can't remember what lie you told later. Which is fucking horseshit. No, I mean, maybe he was trying to do that whole phrase that if you tell too many lies, eventually you're going to forget or something. I don't know. I but don't. Like, I think that, like, if you just lie about one thing. She's also a teenager. She lies about everything. She's going to be good about lying. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, in your DNA. 
she's telling the same story from years before, so it must be the truth. Or she's just not an idiot and she can keep her lies straight. <laughs> so this, yeah, this years later, October 19 to 88, Tom Winslow gets arrested in Lancaster County, which is the county north of Gage. He was involved with beating of a man, but of course, Bert sees this and goes, oh man, I was right the whole time. If this dude can beat and rob a man, he could totally rape and murder a grandma. <laughs> Where's the connection? And he was saying that he wasn't even necessarily the active party in yes. that. He was just the setup. <laughs> like, there's a difference. Yes. Anyway, Tom is looking at some serious time for this beating, and of course, if someone offers you a deal with a shorter sentence, you might give them some info on another crime. Yeah. Yeah, I'll help you out. (laughs) Even if that's true, but whatever. So he says in February of 85, he lied about working, and he was actually riding around with Joe White and Joanne Taylor. They want to go rob an old woman. No idea why. Yeah, like such a weird... (laughs) What do you guys want to do? Should we go bowling? Now let's go rob an old lady. (laughs) It's very specific. He wants no part of this, so he tells them to drop him off, and they can continue to use his car. Which is kind of (laughs) sketch. I don't really want anyone to take my car. (laughs) So, of course, the cops take this story as, he's only giving us so much, so he doesn't say more than we know. (laughs) No, he's clearly bullshitting. And because we know how bullshit cops can be, we see him testing the waters to see what sticks and what the cops know happen. He's just trying to bullshit to try and knock some time off of the beating he's going to jail for. Yeah, that guy ended up paralyzed. (laughs) Uh, So, quote from his lawyer. Tom Winslow thought the more valuable he could make himself, the better off he was going to be, deciding maybe he could talk his way out of jail. Believe me, if you try to talk your way out of jail, you'll talk your way into Into penitentiary do not talk to the police (laughs) no like even if you've done nothing you should still get a lawyer yes don't say a word because then they'll somehow try to tie you there like how do you know so much they are not your friend and they can lie to you oh yeah so yeah they're just gonna hear what they want to hear because they just want to solve this case Bert does that bullshit of I don't think you're telling the truth so let's stop the tape which I hate that. That is so sus. So shady. Oh, you're ready to talk? All right, let's start the tape back up. The shit you typically see in false confessions. Mm-hmm. So now Tom says he went in with them to the apartment, went inside, and once he heard the lady scream, he left. Like, why didn't his lawyer just go, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up? Like, the lawyer is just letting him talk. Terrible lawyer. Yeah. Even if you're making this shit up, you just put yourself at the scene. That makes you a accomplice of whatever these idiots believe happened. Yes. So Tom is released on bond and Joanne is arrested in North Carolina and Joe in Alabama. I guess their relationship didn't last. I couldn't tell. Were they supposed to be dating then? I thought they were, but I don't know. I thought maybe it was like hinted Yeah, because it. they rolled into town together, so I just assumed. Oh. Yeah. I just thought they were like friends. <laughs> Bert interrogates Joe, who denies any involvement in the case and doesn't even know who Helen is. So Bert just thinks he's playing hard to get. (laughs) Because that's how that works. 
Joe and Joanne did not grow up here. They're basically drifters, so it's not far-fetched to think that he wouldn't know who this lady is. <laughs> yeah. That's... Just some random murder that happened. Well, yeah, and at this point, it's also been four years. Even if he did meet her, like, he's not going to remember her. No. During Joanne's interview, she says that she was present for the crime along with Joe and some other guy. She doesn't recall his name, and it occurred between 5.30 and 7 p.m. To which Bert says, sure about that time? Joanne, how is it you can remember some things and then not the other things? Yeah, Bert, it's really curious. <laughs> she doesn't know what time the crime occurred. Also, pause, because I need to ask, what is going on with her neck in that mugshot. I don't know. I need to know. <laughs> I need it bugged me so much I spent hours googling. <laughs> so now her story is that Joe assaulted Helen and both men raped her. She can't remember Tom's name even though the three of them lived together at one point but whatever. They give her a photo lineup and I noticed all the guys had dark hair except for Tom who has light hair. I mean it's kind of shady. <laughs> but she picks Tom out. So at the crime scene, as we talked about, there's half of a $5 bill. This part just... It's so weird. <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> so it turns out Joe has a dumb trick. They continuously use the term trick. For there's this. no trick to it. It's just a dumb joke. He, it makes no sense to anyone but himself. Where in the end, he tears a bill in half, puts one half in his pocket, and just throws the other one up in the air. So this proves he was there. I don't get it, though. And also, is he so rich that he can just waste money this way? I feel like he drinks a lot. <laughs> and that might explain it. I'm 34, and I wouldn't even tear a dollar in half. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not throwing pennies away. <laughs> What is what is happening here? So and it's not even like he has most of the bill, so he take it to the bank and exchange it or whatever the hell. It's just like tearing. The joke is to like tear and throw away the other half. I don't get it. That's not a trick. So because he does this stupid joke and there's half a dollar bill at the scene, that proves that he was there. I just what I I need to know more, but I can't know more. I want to see him perform this trick. So the cops believe he's just going to stop in the middle of a crime scene to do this trick. <laughs> Which makes no for sense. For who, too? Like, did he do it for the old lady? I don't know. Watch my trick. Could it not just be that it's from some guy in a hurry and accidentally ripping the bill? Um, all three of these people don't match the blood type found at the crime scenes. So instead of saying, hey, maybe all these people are lying. Nope, there must have been a fourth person involved that... None of none of them have mentioned. So let's get some <laughs> names. Okay. Can we talk about that one taped interview with that woman who was like, I found Tom in bed with Lobo having sex in the wrong end. And then he turned around and had sex with me and I got crabs. <laughs> I was like, that's how you get a UTI. I don't know about crabs. <laughs> and Bert at one point says there was a lot of bunny hopping going on like yeah it's a small town in nebraska there's and they're like young people there's not a lot of people all you can do is just drink 
and just fuck each other. <laughs> Buddy hopping. Also, the fact that he's called Lobo. Because <laughs> he's a lone wolf. We're talking about Joe. I guess it just makes me <laughs> think his name is Lobo. Because he's a lone wolf. Everybody calls me Snake. Uh, okay. <laughs> so here's where things start to get really wonky. They need to add someone else to this murder because that type B blood still not fitting into place. Joanne then says there's another there was another woman there and gives a description which is so weird because why would you add another woman when you're looking for a man because she's just making shit up she's not paying attention to what the facts of the case are but he should have like <sighs> none of it makes sense no it doesn't it doesn't i don't i just it's i'm hurting my head trying to figure it out i don't know but <laughs> so earlier we kept hearing about this guy named cliff who was involved with tom on that beating and robbery charges cliff says he'll talk to the cops about what he knows to help with the charges he's doing the same thing tom did because he actually did the beating and based on the description of this unknown woman that joanne had described he says it sounds like his wife what the fuck i just i can't with these people but I took it as, like, remember that one where the grandmother was killed and the daughter was, like, raped or something? She said the guy looked like her uncle. So the cops go and arrest the uncle. And it's not the uncle. She just said it looked like him. Wasn't it, like, the neighbor or something like yeah. that? Yes, I remember but that case. But that's what I t- took from this. Is like He's like, yeah, it sounds like it, my wife. Like, it sounds like somebody who looks like my He's not saying... It was my wife. It was my wife. Also, so, why are you going to throw your wife under the bus? Like, that's such a weird though. thing. All you said was, it sounds like my wife. And they're like, your wife did it. And Bert, yeah, is just shocked that this guy would throw his wife under the bus. Bert has to be like a QAnon believer or something. <laughs> he is just so gullible. <laughs> but the guy said it sounded like his wife, not my wife must be involved. You know what the most shocking thing about all of this was to me? <laughs> Please tell me. They're still married. I know, and they're still so in love with each other. It's adorable. But also fucked up. (laughs) Like, they're like, it's like I know that they've had a fucked up life experience and stuff. But when they talk about how they met and all that, you can just still see they're still so in love. I mean, she talks about raping him, and he well, talks about... ignore that part. And he talks about, or, you know, he beat the shit out of someone and put him in a wheelchair, <laughs> but, you know, they are so in love. You just and they don't are, understand love. They are still together. They are. That blew my mind. <laughs> Joanne might have a good reason to try to pin this on Cliff's wife, Debbie. Joanne... She fucking was pissed. Jesus Christ. There's so many... I'm not saying any of these people are completely innocent of all crimes. No, they definitely <laughs> were. There's a lot of dirtbags. <laughs> but, okay, so Joanne wanted to be with Cliff and was so upset when he said he got married to Debbie that she stabbed Cliff in the arm. <laughs> so she had reason to be like, you know what? Yeah, She's, it was Debbie. Yeah. <laughs> And Debbie is loosely related to the Wilson family. She's like a second cousin or something. So they figure if Debbie was there, then Helen would have recognized her and opened the door. You know your second cousins? Probably. <laughs> I was like, what is the connection here? I mean, I'm not opening my front door for them, but... I don't open my door for anybody except you. Yeah. But I was like, how do these people know who their second cousins are? 
I mean, she's an old lady, so she's probably a real big on family. But also, like, why would you open the door to your second cousin and three strangers? I don't know. So Debbie goes along with this and implicates another person. Yeah, she's like, I was there, and also... Debbie has a lot of issues that we'll okay, get into the second episode. It just, it feels so much like a clue scenario or something. They're just, they're like, yeah, I was there, and so was she. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, yeah, I was there. And he was too. Like, like Debbie has hell? some intellectual. She's issues, had a life, and yes, she seems very gullible. So, uh, so the person she implicates is James Dean, and I know what you're thinking. Not that one. <laughs> I immediately. He's been dead for thirty years at this point, and you can't attack an old lady when you have a broken neck. Not the I James don't think. Dean. <laughs> So it's very obvious that Bert has talked to Debbie several times before this revelation. He even says on the tape, we've talked several times and you're just now mentioning this guy. And even when she mentions him, like he has no reaction to it. Yeah. You would think that he would be like, huh? Yes, something. He's heard the name before. So I want to know where are these other taped interviews? You guys have talked several times. Because they don't tape (sighs) all the important parts it's false confession 101 shit and they arrest this poor dude on his fucking birthday (laughs) and this guy is something he does not take it well being arrested based on his written statements and his horrible spelling i don't place him at all high on the iq chart no he also seems to have a lot of emotional issues. He threw a fit in the prison. (laughs) He says he wasn't involved and tells them to give him a lie detector test, which of course he fails because those are not reliable. No, and he seems like he would be agitated. So he is, as we said, extremely emotional in jail, so they constantly send this psychiatrist, psychologist, psychologist to visit with him without his lawyer on behalf of the county to calm him down yeah that the whole that whole thing was just i couldn't i was like say what <laughs> oh and it gets worse it we'll does go over that yes in the second episode eventually he says he will confess to the crime the weird thing about all these people is when they confess and ask if anyone else is involved it's like always open-ended like it's not a yes or no so when he's pressed he throws in kathy gonzalez as also being involved And he also confesses to be the one who threw the breaker for the hallway lights. Because somebody had to have done it, apparently. So you've got to pin it on somebody. So now, six people are believed to have been involved with killing this old woman. Seven people total. In a one-bedroom apartment. In a one-bedroom apartment, fighting late at night, and no one hears a peep. Just mind-blowing. How is that possible? Uh, Kathy's involvement was she at some point was kicked in the nose by Helen and the washcloth found in the sink was from her trying to stop the bleeding and a bloody bra was found in the building's dumpster that they said was hers. Which makes total sense. I know when I have a bloody nose, I take my bra off and throw it away, (laughs) but leave my shirt on. Well, obviously... She left behind the washcloth and then started using her bra to stop the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just like oh, the padding yeah <laughs> here's the thing kathy lives in the apartment above helen if this happens all she has to do is go upstairs throw the damn thing in a sink of ice water yeah she could keep her like, bra do you know how expensive bras <laughs> oh are oh my god yes 
just there's gonna, no weed. I'm just going to throw it away because it's got some blood well, on it. Well, not only that, she would have to go outside, throw it in the dumpster, and go then go back, back into inside. The it does not make sense. And I was also like, how do they know for sure it's her bra? Did they check it? Did it fit? That's what if I was If it doesn't wondering. fit, you must it's quit. quit. <laughs> it's the wrong cup size. If the booby holder don't fit, you must quit. But with this sixth person, they found someone with type B blood. They were just, and who they else? They were going to keep arresting people <laughs> until they found type B. That's insane. Just, I couldn't believe it. I was just, how many more fucking people? <laughs> Are you going to have half the goddamn town in this apartment? The community theater stuff is odd until the end of the second episode when they started practicing act outs. And Whoa, boy. I texted you and was like, I want to join a community theater group. <laughs> <laughs> like, this seems fun. Especially if we get to reenact a crime. <laughs> They just seem like they're having fun. So here is what Bert says happened that night. Oh, God. Joe White, Tom Winslow, Joanne, Debbie, and James drive over to the apartment building, even though Joanne hates Debbie. She's still squeezing into a car with her and three other people. I was one. Okay. I was curious how they were all supposed to have fit. I know that, like, they were a little bit roomier in the 80s. But some of them were a little... They weren't small people. Yeah. I don't don't know. They'd have to be real close to each other. Well, and these two women hate each other. Yeah. Like, why are they cramming into a car together? I just... I Yeah. I didn't think that they'd all fit. They head to the door and knock. Helen recognizes Debbie, so she answers the door. They rush in, push her down, demand money. She tries to go to her phone, but Joe pushes her and moves her to the bedroom with Tom coming in to assist. James leaves at some point. Somehow, Joe ends up holding a knife from the kitchen. <laughs> knife didn't even look like it had any blood on it. I, but I, I don't know. <laughs> but he just, boop, it's in his hand. Yeah, he ends up holding a knife from the kitchen, holds it to her throat, and then Kathy shows up, gets kicked in the face, doesn't call police. I guess then she just goes back to her apartment. Helen gets dragged out to the living room and gets beat by Joe, and then he proceeds to rape her. After he's done, then Tom rapes her, while these other people are just standing around. Uh, And then after that, Joanne grabs a pillow and smothers Helen. Do we even know if she was smothered by a pillow? Yeah. Because we know she had something wrapped around her head. So I guess when this is all happening, someone's just sitting there making coffee and... I thought, yeah, they like made a pot of coffee. I guess maybe while killing time. You know, back then, it took a couple minutes to get heated up and get that drip and we got time to spare. And even though some of this shit really doesn't make sense, they're all saying the same story, according to Bert. So there's no way they could be lying. When Bert knows all the facts, he knows these people. There's no way he could have possibly been, like, coaching them without realizing it. Yeah, maybe off tape. No, that doesn't happen. It is shocking to see how set he is in being right no matter what. Dude, I, yeah. It's scary. People can make mistakes. If he made one, he would know. (laughs) And he would tell you. I don't think he would. I think out of all of them, I feel the worst for Kathy. Literally, the only connection she has to these people is that Joe lived with her for maybe two weeks. I love her story about that. It was so brief because he refused to shower and she was like, dude, you got to go if you don't shower. And he just left. <laughs> he wasn't, all right, I'm going to take a shower. He, he just, just packed moved up down. And, 
and the bloody bra in the trash she was moving out at the end of this month when helen was killed and the bra was just like a bunch of old clothes she was throwing away <laughs> that was my thing you found the bra you didn't find any other clothes would have left them known because that makes sense and since we're trying to prosecute six people it's going to be expensive so the prosecutors start trying to dangle plea deals out debbie is the first to accept and then james and after that kathy and then i guess some point tom and uh joanne tom's lawyer is something else some of his moves i'm like why would you allow your client to do that and then he talks about being told tom needs to accept his plea deal or they're going to go after him with the death penalty and he says quote i said something rude to him which i will not repeat on air but i think you know what it was it wasn't merry christmas i loved that (laughs) (laughs) this is hbo you could say fuck you we say much worse than this documentary so (laughs) they say much more no that is what i'm saying (laughs) we'll get into that some, some shit was said that was much worse than it was one of those I'm not Merry Christmas <laughs> so basically Joe is the only one willing to go to trial which sucks because now he has five people testifying against him and it's hard for a jury to realize that these people have to say he was involved or they're risking going to trial and getting the death penalty like it's one of those things that normal people not weirdos like us don't think about during a trial yeah if someone's testifying against you and they were an accomplice they're gonna say some shit no matter what happened so that they don't go to prison for life yeah no matter what happened they're against them so of course after two and a half hours of deliberation he is found guilty and sentenced to life in prison deb james and kathy are sentenced to 10 years joanne is sentenced to 40 and tom gets 50 and burt must feel like a pig in shit because he's getting articles written about how great he is he's the, the town, town hero beatrice is just all over his dick and ham helen's family says thanks by buying him a pistol i thought that was weird that's weird <laughs> and then engraved that's weird <laughs> thanks for solving our grandmother's murder here's a murder weapon <laughs> I just thought it was weird when he pulls it out and starts showing it off and stuff. And I was like, what? Why is I there a gun? I was waiting for him to go, pow, pow. Ah, just kidding, guys. <laughs> it was so out of place. The Midwest is weird. Bert left the police force in 96 and bought a liquor store, did some real estate, and then became a florist. I liked the flower shop thing. <laughs> so weird. He was like a farmer at some point, got a liquor store. He's all over the place. And he went from ruining lives to like, hey, here's a nice bouquet for your girlfriend. It's bizarre. Let her know she's special. And he doesn't want to be remembered as a bad cop because he's not and he wasn't. He didn't make a mistake. (laughs) You ruin the lives of six people and their families. Cost taxpayers millions of dollars and gave false hope to the family of a murdered woman. But we'll get into all that. The third episode of this really goes into more of the theater group in the beginning and the current community and how they feel. Reading over the script and finding more about the truth really makes the actors more dedicated to this play and wanting it to be successful so that people in the town learn the truth. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a, it's got like a whole mission statement behind it. At one point, they're arguing over the line, did you butt fuck her? Oh, I thought it, I didn't think it was, did you butt fuck her? I thought it was, you know what you did, you butt fucked her. But this is when they're like, 
they, they changed it around, but this was like the first time. Okay, yeah. But, but which is funny. No matter what, Bert says this. Yes. In real life. And it's funny to hear it until someone in the group points out that the line is important because they're quoting Bert asking this question in an interrogation about this poor murder victim. I cannot believe that the family supported this man who literally used the phrase buttfucked her. I just remember you texted me like, did you get to that line about the buttfuck? And I was like, I don't think so. And, and I was so like, you'll know when ba- you do. <laughs> started it back up. This scene came up and I was like, I think that's what she's talking about. When that happened, I was just, whoa. (laughs) You can't say that about an old lady. Yeah, it's a And unconsensual butt sex. Rough thing to hear, but helps you understand what these six people might have gone through in the the interrogations. It was was not pretty. Deb, James, and Kathy get out after serving a little less than five years, and their lives are ruined. There are pariahs in the town, and being a felon is great when it comes to a job search. Everything just kind of goes back to normal until 2005 when Joe hires a new attorney to look over the case. Doug Stratton looks it over and believes that not only is Joe innocent, so are the other five people. He files to get evidence tested for DNA, but because it's the same like county attorney all these years later the judge decides against it and so it goes to the nebraska supreme court who decides that yeah go ahead and test the evidence yeah because seriously in this time we've been able to determine a little bit more than just your fucking blood type yeah and lucky for joe and his team the evidence is still there and was preserved well enough to be able to get it tested and by the time all this is happening there's a new county attorney who seems to be going along with all of this yeah just kind of hey wait a minute yeah just go ahead and test it the cops supposedly did their job so there's nothing to worry about and all of this takes years of going back and forth with the courts and the dna testing so it's worth it when it's discovered that none of the dna matches joe tom or james bert says he trusts the dna but obviously they couldn't have tested everything in the apartment so these six could still be the killers just not the rapists which is just baffling what else six are they supposed to test in this people place in this apartment didn't he say something about the mugs in the sink yeah so the dna proves she wasn't raped by any of these men which is half of your case and then all these people are testifying she was raped by these men and yet the dna didn't happen so it's clearly a lie. It's just insane. So yes, this is where we're going to end with this week. We are halfway through the series, so we definitely have a bunch more to yap about next week. We will find out about a new investigation, the aftermath, and just what's going on with this crazy community theater troupe. <laughs> Love it. Can't wait. So thank you for joining us this week, and we will be back next week with the conclusion of Mind Over Murder. Bye. Thank you for listening to Talk to Me. The opening music is by Twisterium. For comments or suggestions, we can be reached by email at doctomepod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at doctomepod and find a link to our Facebook group in the show notes. Thank you.